welcome to The Authority On, a podcast brought to you by Device Authority. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to our podcast today, which uh, where we'll be discussing insurance and will security vulnerabilities leave you uninsurable? You only have to look at the sheer number of increasing vulnerabilities that are published on a daily basis. In fact, last year, um, I think it was like nearly enough 26,000 vulnerabilities were published and identified it, uh, identified, which was a big concern. And actually, even up until the date this this year, we've got about 6,000 already new vulnerabilities found. So it was a crazy times. Um, on this uh, little podcast today, I've got a couple of uh, guests. Um, so before we start, I'll just introduce those those people. We've got Rob Black, who's CISO at uh, Factional. Rob, do you want to give a bit of background about yourself? Yes, absolutely. So uh, yes, uh, hi everyone. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Rob Black. I'm at Fractional CISO. That's the company name. And so what we do is we help mid-sized companies with their cybersecurity leadership. And just like you know, this these questions about uh, insurance, we get these all the time, uh, literally. Uh, this week, we probably spent time with three different clients on their cyber insurance. It's a very complicated issue, and you know we help clients with uh, all sorts of uh, of things with their cybersecurity program. Good stuff. Thanks, Rob. Uh-huh. And uh, next we have Stash. Um, I'm not going to pronounce your uh, surname Stash because I'll probably get it wrong. Um, but Stash is a recent fellow a device authority colleague who's just joined us actually in the last couple of months. Um, Sash, do you want to give a bit of background about yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. Nice to be here and uh, join this very fascinating subject, to say the least. Uh, so, yeah, I've been in the automotive industry from the automotive aftermarket all the way through the uh, OEM, uh, vehicle manufacturer and so on sector, specifically focused on software uh, in both uh, areas. And I've been involved quite a lot with actually in the UK with some of the biggest insurance companies as it pertains to collision collision repair and the whole collision uh, process of claims, claims uh, access and the whole process of, you know, when you have a collision and how the insurers pay out and all the very complex process that's involved with uh, the concerns that insurers have for insurance, uh, the safety of vehicles and so on. So this is, a, I think, an outstanding subject because it's one that is um, getting increasingly fraught with complexity. I think uh, Rob would agree with that. So. Yeah, there we go. Both, both Robs would definitely agree with that, I think. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, two birds with one stone. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, and last but not least, myself, Rob Dobson. I head up our technology partners. I'm VP technology partners at Device Authority. Uh, been in cybersecurity for quite some time now. I've worked across mobility, uh, medical, industrial, gov, various, uh, various different use cases and applications, and uh, keen to be on this uh, podcast talking to you guys today. So um, perhaps let me get the ball rolling and having known Stash for probably a, a, at least a month or so, and I know Stash, you just give it a great intro around automotive and what you've been doing there. Yeah. And I think you had some really good um, background in that space and perhaps you've got some insights you, you want to share with us on some of the examples you've worked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, to kick off with the, the, the issue with um, vehicle manufacturing, all right, so new vehicle, Uh, You've got um, the process of safety, safety control, and a huge duty of care that insurers have on looking and allocating risk, right? Because that's how they come to their premiums. Mm. And so what's often lost in this discussion is 
uh, yeah, you've got a vehicle coming off the line. So you've got the OEMs with their um, huge uh, duty of care for their vehicles to be safe and conform to very strict standards and increasing standards across the board with legislation for um, safety, but now cybersecurity. Right. And then from an insurer's perspective, you've got, well, I've got to look at these vehicles and how do they um, how is my allocation of risk? associated with that vehicle because there comes a point where a vehicle can become uninsurable so a good example of that is high uh, net worth vehicles for example rolls royce bentley lamborghini whatever those are incredibly difficult to insure and they cost a massive premium uh, for the reasons that if your rolls royce crashes um, parts availability and so on, very, very complex. How long is it going to take? All this type of stuff. So all of those things impact uh, the topic that we have today. So specifically to open things up a little bit more, if you look at some of the immediate vulnerabilities of um, vehicles, one of the one that comes straight to mind is relating to the um, Hyundai Kia 2015-19 models that um, did, were shipped without demobilization features. Right. As of today, uh, Allstate and Progressive are not insuring those vehicles, all right? And uh, it's because they've been easy to hack. And then you've had people, um, for whatever reason, we'll never know the reasons and the motivations of uh, <laughs> people out there, to make a game out of it, you know, let's uh, you know, let's have a hackathon for these vehicles, which is very disturbing for um, the OEM, uh, very disturbing for the insurance company. But I, you know, they look at it and say the allocation of risk here is too high. They're being stolen every which way. They're vulnerable. Therefore, um, I'm not going to insure that vehicle. So that's, a, a, I think, a really good um, use case to discuss. And then you've got um, multiple recalls. Ford has had some very big issues in the last 18 months that have recalled uh, 600,000 vehicles in two, uh, the 2019 um, and 2006 to 2010 uh, Ford Fusions, Mercury's, Milan's and so on with um, a leak in the anti-lock uh, braking system. Ah. That is a red flag to insurer, right? You know, anti-lock braking, a critical safety feature a very basic one by today's standards, but you know it needs to be addressed, and then it's a red flag. And finally, as of this morning, uh, uh, Hyundai uh, had a recall for 570,000 vehicles uh, because of a wiring hitch issue. Uh, basically, make a statement: do not park the car in the garage. So that's going to hit insurers, you know, as a consumer wow. in the house. So house insurance is compromised. Car insurance is compromised. So you've got those uh, issues all coming through, not to mention then on the production line, when you've got very sophisticated vehicles coming out with sensors, anti-lock braking, ADAS, LIDAR, radar, GPS yeah. tracking, forward-facing cameras, rear-facing cameras, all that type of stuff. What if one of those devices is either not fit for purpose or compromised, or there's a vehicle update that's expected through SOTA, software over the air updates, which is, yeah. a, is a standard procedure now for OEMs. What do you do then if you've shipped out 100,000 vehicles or 300,000 vehicles with a device maybe that needs a new certificate? You know, to do that at scale is a major, major issue. And again, can impact, for example, say there's a compromise on the airbag, 
something relatively simple, yeah. cruise control or whatever, then again, that would be a red flag to an insurer to say, is that vehicle um, going to increase my liability in a potential accident for a hospital stay, a collision repair and so on? So that's how I view it at the moment and more than happy to answer any questions and so on. But over to you, Rob and Rob. Yeah, no worries. It's definitely interesting to, to hear about that. And clearly the risk and safety implications error driving a lot of that um, insurance, you know, sort of thought patterns and for, for the right reasons, right, as well. And we, we see a yeah. lot of the discussion around safety and um, protection from their, from an IT standpoint across the board, not talking about just automotive, but it's a, a wider topic, especially when you think about things like uh, industrial pumps or health mm-hmm. monitoring equipment, all that. Yeah it goes with it um but it's definitely an interesting thing rob did you have any thoughts on that type of um you know from an insurance angle and you know perhaps the insurance implications around that type of uh, problem the uh you know interesting to me is so uh samsung their exynos auto t15 uh, T513 chipset, so that's that's the same that's the same issue, the same one they have in all those Pixel phones and all those Samsung phones, right? So the Pixels have been patched, Samsungs haven't, but these are now in I, who, who knows how many automobiles. I mean, <laughs> I got to imagine, you know, you know, I don't know for a fact, uh, it would be pretty quick, but insurers have got to be thinking, oh my gosh, this is uh, this is an absolute nightmare. Um, you know, you have the, you have the kind of vulnerability where essentially any sort of over-the-air connection um, can easily be compromised without any user behavior. Um, that that's really scary. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, never mind the insurance part. Just like driving one of those vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it kind of goes back to like the 20 years ago when everything was unconnected, doesn't it? You know, you kind of yeah. think about, well, hang on a minute. Uh, but, you know, we all progress. We all need connected services in our vehicles. It's all about well, how do we make them the most secure as possible. Sure. And so from that standpoint, you know, what sort of la- controls um, do we need to have in place to make these types of products, um, you know, insurable? You know, what, what type of things do we need to have in place to, to, to do to do that? So uh, so we work with a lot of different companies and i will say this the insurance requirements are jumping you know just you know just because obviously the the claims have been so high insurance Mm -hmm. requirements are jumping all around the you know when you say insurable is it insurable if your premium goes up hundreds of percents you know where now you were paying some small dollar figure now you're paying some huge huge number um so we've seen that with a with a recent client um we're we're constantly being asked to help fill out the form and the forms are always changing um you know i do think you know if you look at the claims data for cyber insurance 28 percent of cyber claims are paid out i mean just imagine any other aspect like you know for instance automotive you're in a car crash and you're insured right you're probably being paid out like 99 percent of the time right so 28 percent are being paid out and and the thing is these forms that you fill out one I think people don't know the answers for a fact mm. and they say, oh yeah, we have MFA, but, or multi-factor authentication, but do they really have it for all their key services? Maybe, yeah. maybe not. When there's a claim made, the insurer says, hey, let's take a look at the MFA for that system. Like, oh, you know, we're not, <laughs> yeah, I know we're supposed to write you a check for 5 million bucks, but we're not because you didn't have MFA turned on on that system, right? So there are a number of things, you know, one, what controls you need in place? Well, you know, I would say consistently we see, 
um, MFA, we see like EDR or maybe antivirus, some sort of monitoring. Um, this week I was filling out a, helping a client fill out a form for their email and was asking super specific questions about like what things were turned on for their email protection. Yeah. Um, you know, typically they'll ask about policies. Um, I'm not sure if that's actually driving denial of, of claims or not. I mean, it seems to me it's more of the technical controls that they get yeah. very exercised about, but you know, they do ask, you know, usually it's a couple pages. I mean, maybe 20 questions. Sometimes it can be really big with hundreds of questions, but, um, uh, if you don't have let's I would what I would call a good security program, I think there's a very high likelihood you're gonna have a tough time getting that cyber insurance. Um, yeah. and when I say good, it would be like all the controls that you see in any framework. So, you know, are you doing monitoring? Are you checking access control? Do you have MFA turned uh. on? Um, you know, like all all of those types of controls. And um, so there's some I main things there then the sort of you can sort of pull out, right? Identify some key things. MFA, right? Is one of those. MFA, MFA is almost, is certainly one. Um, but you know, I'd say some of the other ones. It depends on the insurer, and yeah. uh, and and I don't know that we've seen any sort of consistency. Um, but I think the insurers are all trying to figure out what to be done. What's to be done? The other thing we've seen is the insurers using those public. Um, scoring system. So basically they're having an internet looking view at your environment. And if you get a, you know, let's say an A or a B, you're getting insured. I'm just making up the numbers, you know, or, you know, but if you're below some cutoff, they're just going to say, hey, you know, you got to clean things up. And it's not so much a specific control as it is a set of controls that you're just not keeping your, you know, you probably haven't patched, you know, your DNS may not be set up properly. I um, mean, you know, there's going to be a whole host of things that that makes them say, hey, if they're not keeping their internet facing profile clean, you know, certainly they're not doing a good job with the internal stuff. We can imagine a massive shift for some of these vendors out there. When you talk about automotive, for example, there's a huge yes. shift from when they come from just making these big boxes of metal to now having this whole cybersecurity <laughs> thing, right? I mean, yes. yeah, and you need, to, you need to worry about the supply chain. You're just as the, as the chip example, you need to worry about, about your software development process, and then you need to be able to demonstrate it to uh, the insurer or demonstrate it to, you know, I guess, you know, the customer. So, yeah, um, yeah so there's, uh, you know, certainly. Uh, I would imagine a huge shift and, you know, every company is a software company now or not, maybe not yeah. literally every company, yeah. but, but most yeah. every company is. <laughs> yeah. Stash, did you have anything to add to that? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head, uh, Rob. <laughs> I was going to say Rob with the headphones, but you're welcome. So I think that the, you're underscoring, uh, uh, the, I mentioned earlier, there's an escalation of complexity. So most people don't realize if you look at a vehicle, it has anywhere from between 100,000, 100 million to you know, 300 million lines of code. That got, you know, you have to pause for a second on that. A Boeing 737 or whatever has about 90 million lines of code. All right. And that's a really sophisticated piece of kit. Right. So why? There's been a race to connected vehicle. Um, vehicle to infrastructure, autonomous vehicles, all that kind of stuff. And you've got so many vendors now contributing to the vehicle infrastructure and architecture that that is beginning to uh, cause, I think, significant concerns in terms of how do you manage that type of um, complexity at scale? So if you look at um, a typical car, they'll have you know, anywhere from three to 400 actual devices on the vehicle. If you've ever seen a vehicle stripped out, 
engine gone, all that kind of stuff. And you look where the sensors are meant to be placed. It make your mind boggle to know how complicated. Yeah. So you've got that on the one side, and then to your point, Rob Black, on the other side, you've got the insurance companies actually getting in on the act because UBI, which is uh, usage-based insurance, right, is coming on really, really strong. Well, the insurer is not embedded in the vehicle. So the vehicle's vulnerable anyway, and the OEMs are doing everything they can to keep it secure. But if you're an insurer... The way to use the devices, because they have to track the driver to decrease the policy or um, usage-based insurance. And so um, they're going through the, um, uh, the OBD port or other areas of the vehicle. So that's external to the vehicle with a huge potential vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, it could be Bluetooth, yeah. it could be wireless, could be all this type of stuff. And so in some ways, the insurers are contributing to their own issue here. And the question is, Again, and I, I think this is fundamental, how do you address those issues at scale? You can do it onesie twosies, but if there is a threat, that's in of itself not a big issue. Okay, I found it. The major question is, what are you going to do about it, right? Yeah. And I think that's fundamental to this discussion. Rob Black, I think you mentioned it really well in terms of this escalating amount of technology that's hitting the marketplace in all areas. So do do we think actually, you know, in a not too distant future, we're going to have policies as consumers, which are going to stipulate what your cybersecurity risk is going to be? And is it going to protect you against harm? And you're going to have a, you know, limit, you know, liability factor in there as well. Are we going to see that coming through, do you think, in an automotive? I'm thinking about with my next insurance policy. Rob, do you want to have a go? I can, I can, yeah. Future predictions on what uh, these large organizations are going to do. I, I, you know, generally I would say they're going to work to protect themselves. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. any, if you can push risk onto the consumer, then sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the question is, will um, you know, will the legislative environment allow that? Right, where yeah. you, know, you know, and and shifting liability, and then you know, the second thing is, you know. I guess, you know, when you buy your car, you sign some paperwork. I, you know, it seems like pretty strange that, you know, there's a buyer beware, sign this, and, you know, you're indemnifying us for our lack of competence in, yeah. in protecting yeah. the vehicle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It'd be interesting to see how it plays out, that's for sure. Well, I think one of the other issues is the um, distracted driving issue. So um, you've got consumers now using their cars inappropriately and against the rules and regulations that are either in the manual or given to you when you take that vehicle. And that's one thing, but what if you rent one? You're not gonna read the manual or whatever and so on. So there was a piece of software in the UK for right, 39.99 that you could install in your infotainment system that allowed you to watch videos. Now, the author of that software they didn't care whether you did or didn't it was just you know make some money 39.99 watch your videos the car manufacturer the duty of care they have means the moment the car's in motion video stops right but for 39.99 that person doesn't care and now you've got this distraction in the vehicle they've got no access to the gps or other type of sensors that tells them mm. the car's moving and so whether it be that or, for example, the telephone, 
huge distraction in the vehicle, you know, the connected car, the chase for that. Um, it's increasing distraction all the time, right? Yeah. And that, again, impacts the insurers hugely because, you know, yeah. who's, you know, where, where's the finger going to be pointing? <laughs> There's always that finger pointing going on, yeah. that's for sure. But you, you touched on some very interesting points, Rob and uh, Stash. It's like, when we talk about legislation, in fact, you know, we see legislation evolving constantly, right? Like, for example, I don't know, 18 months, two years ago, was the EO 14028 come out from the US. Uh, from the White House was talking about zero trust, software bill of materials, and then re fairly recently, in the last six or seven months, the EU Cyber Resilience Act in Europe. Yeah. And it calls out some really interesting stuff, right? So things like products must be designed, developed and produced with appropriate level of cybersecurity. Um, products must be delivered without any known exploitable uh, vulnerabilities. J just put that in your head about the, the number that was found last year, over 25,000, right? And, yep. and just managing that stuff. And Rob, back to something you touched on previously around visibility and the fact that some of these reg regulations that are coming are pulling out things like software bill of materials and having an inventory of the software so that you can see what's all across all of your real estate devices is going to be incredibly powerful, right? Because then you can quickly understand, hey, this is a new exploit out. What does it affect? Or does it affect all my cars that are in in the field and so forth? But um, there's some interesting new legislation coming out, which I think is going to be incredibly uh, important as well. Well, go on. We're going to say something. I yeah, I'm I'm skeptical. So to Sass's point, with the hundred million, hundred million plus lines of code, let's just yeah. do a simple exercise. <laughs> You're going to find a serious vulnerability in however many lines of code. Let's be yeah. generous and say one million lines of code. I'm going to say it's probably more like ten thousand but let's just say serious vulnerability and million lines of code that means that your brand new car that's shipping off a lot has a hundred serious vulnerabilities more likely it's a thousand or ten thousand vulnerabilities in there and to think you know yes it might not be known but you know what are you going to do now okay so now we have a software bill of materials and we say okay these 15 libraries have this issue and okay over there update can actually only update 10 of them and now we have to bring the car into the dealer to yeah. update the others and it takes five hours to you know reflash the chip or whatever um you know just do the math and and it's it's not gonna work yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it well it's gonna be interesting to see how that pans out um but but clearly to help in this whole insurance landscape and to help you know build safer products and uh, to, to build cybersecurity into a lot of this, it's um, yes. not what we're talking about here. You have to get together the, you know, the legislation bodies, the insurers, the manufacturers, and how do you fix these vulnerabilities as well? So how, how do you think the best way to do that is uh, to, you know, to bring all these people together to come forward to build these better products? Uh, Go on, Stash. Yeah. <laughs> well, better, I tell you what, it's it's re you're you're touching on so many issues. That's why this issue is so broad. So if you look at getting the legislative bodies and getting the OEMs and the suppliers together to to your point, um, Rob, to build a better, safer product, right? What most people don't understand is as consumers, they go to the car uh, dealership, they pick up their car, and I've got a new product, way to go. Car manufacturers have to support that vehicle. For 15 years. That is really hard because right behind them are the insurance companies that have to insure those vehicles 
And you've got, and again, most people think of consumer vehicles like we are right now, but there's yeah. a whole industry of commercial vehicles as well, mm. right? Now, what happens in that ecosystem of how do you, because cars are always in accidents. <laughs> so you've got to repair those vehicles. So a, a great point here is uh, back in the day, if you had a headlamp that was broken in a collision, you could go to the um, recycler or, you know, used car parts or whatever, put another um, headlamp on, job done, right? Now yeah. with adaptive uh, LEDs for, you know, headlights, all this type of stuff that they do, um, you can't just go and get one of those lights and stick it in a car. So on the new BMWs, for example, many of the lights are actually barcoded to the VIN number of the vehicle. So now you've got this complexity, right, that could say, and again, switching hats, there's a right to repair act in Europe and the US to allow the aftermarket to repair the vehicles. It's critical to the infrastructure. But at the same time, that replacement of that one light not done properly could cause a fatal accident right yeah so it's not just looking robert the new vehicles coming off the line it's a 15-year tail to support those vehicles and then straight back to rob black's point with the insurers how do you ensure that how do you put that into your um algorithms and god knows what to say this is how much we're going to insure that vehicle for so, yeah, I think it's it's incredibly complicated when you look at the um, what looks at a relatively simple landscape of building a new car. It's very complex. Yeah. The um, yes, uh, I you know I think all all those are great points. You know, from a legislation standpoint, I don't know the answer because it's a very complicated problem. The thing to me though is information can potentially be powerful. So just like you get a consumer rating for the crash safetyness of a car, you know, imagine if each vehicle had to go through a series of pen tests and then there was some sort of standardized report that consumers mm -hmm. can get. You have an A, yeah. B, C, or D, right, for your for your vehicle. And you know, maybe consumers don't care, but maybe insurance companies care. Um, maybe consumers don't care until there is an incident where, you know, somewhat, you know, unfortunately yeah. there's a loss of life. And then all of a sudden people are like, holy, you know, my family's in that car. I got to make sure <laughs> right. I get an A-rated car, right? Yeah. So um, yeah. I do think I do think those types of things, so, you know, maybe it's, it's the regulation is basically they have to disclose or they have to do a series of tests. And, you know, in the U.S., the National Transportation Safety Board puts out yeah. like what the standard is. Um, I feel like something like that is would be better than being prescriptive on, OK, you have to have A and B and C, because, you know, again, to Stash's point with the 100 million lines of code, like it's great that you specify all these things, but just so, the tax service is so huge yeah. that, you know, it's it's you're not going to be able to legislate the answer. But transparency will help to allow the consumer to drive it. And then if the consumer doesn't, either the big, the folks that are buying the big lots of cars or the insurance companies who are insuring all these cars, right? So the whole, you know, the, the 2015 Kia um, can't be mm -hmm. insured, right? So, yep. you know, you'll have the data and some cars won't get insured and the manufacturer is mm -hmm. going to have every incentive to fix that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of, it feels to me like the next step in the crash test. It's yeah, yeah, to, it is it's an element to that, yeah. right? It's like, well, yeah. it's the cyber crash test. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. well, time will time will tell on that one. So, um, 
Well, I think that's pretty much the, the topics we wanted to cover today, to be honest. Unless you guys have got anything else you wanted to add. I, I did have one thing. I missed one talking point. It. I think it's super relevant to your audience. So we review a lot of insurance policies. And when we are looking at our clients that manufacture a product, the thing I say to them is look at what it will what your insurance is going to cover for for physical you know loss of life or, or physical damage the answer is probably zero dollars but it may be i saw a policy this week two hundred fifty thousand dollars now if someone mm. dies from your product two hundred fifty thousand dollars is not going to help you at all <laughs> no <laughs> um so so you know so one you know really think about that i don't know the solution i think the answer though is you really need to have a, a, a heart to heart with your insurance broker mm -hmm. and potentially the underwriter to figure out what the what the thing to do is because i don't know that this has really been tested to date but this could be totally ruinous for some folks that are listening right now um you don't want to be the first company that finds out uh about the limits of your policy in the news right yeah, yeah exactly that's very true and very good points and uh on that note um i think we'll wrap up the pod session for today and it's been really good having you both on this panel session and uh really good discussion and for the audience if there's anyone that wants to discuss him further with myself stash or rob uh, i'm pretty sure you can find us all i know you can find myself on linkedin and stash and yeah, i'm rob absolutely. i'm just connected with you in, in not uh not too long ago so feel free to connect with us and we'll be keen to talk to you um from that i'll oh, thank you both for joining and um over and out uh, thanks absolutely. for listening thanks very much great Thank you for listening to this episode of The Authority On, a podcast brought to you by Device Authority. If you have any questions about the subject matter in this podcast, please head to the Device Authority website, deviceauthority.com. See you next time. Mm -hmm.